Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. to 101 part-time jobs is the podcast where i speak to bands to find out what they've done to stay afloat past and present best and worst the whole hog getting your ducks in a row while playing in a band is a pretty hefty task easy life are the latest to cancel a tour following animal collective and little sims citing financial issues the world's just getting harder for that stuff and i've all of a sudden started getting clickbait articles on celebs who now have normal jobs but 
I assure you, this podcast is for fun. We're not going to get bummed out here. Oh, no. It's a fun show, and we enjoy ourselves despite everything. And on today's episode is Lindsay, who sings in New Pagans, the Belfast band, who are this Friday releasing their new record, Making Circles of Our Own. The album's coming out on the legendary indie label Big Scary Monsters. Like I said, it's out this Friday, and it's chock full of bangers. Cheers for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, supported by 2000 Trees Festival. Just a few hours away from London in Cheltenham in July, they're having a four-day festival, starting on the Wednesday, ending on the Saturday. Gives you the Sunday off, which I think is a very conscientious touch. And they've just made a huge announcement with the Bronx, One Step Closer, Loose Articles, Lynx. If you haven't heard of Lynx, go check them out. It's absolutely nuts. Narrowhead, Prince Daddy and the Hyena, Martha, and guess who else? Our guest today, New Pagans. That's on top of the already stacked lineup of Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. 100 Reasons, have you heard their new stuff? It's Ace, Joyce Manor, Crows, Sprints, loads of incredible bands at 2000 Trees Festival. 2000treesfestival.co.uk to get your tickets. Installment tickets are available until the end of this month. That's the end of February. If you want to get your full ticket for 2000 Trees 2023, you can go to Dice. And if you use the promo code 101POD, you can get 20 quid straight off your ticket. It's free money. 2000 Trees, it's an amazing independent festival. I highly recommend heading there this July. All right, here's Lindsay from New Pagans on 101 Part-Time Jobs. Go well. When you go to a coffee shop that you like and it's an independently run business, does that trigger off your brain? I'm projecting here. It triggers off my <laughs> brain to think like, oh, cool, independent organizations can exist. You know, there's a place in the world for these independent places to exist. You don't have to work at the big supermarket or you don't have to work at a giant organization. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's quite in Belfast, there's quite a few places like that now where you go and you just feel that you know the owner and not necessarily in a personal level, but you, you get to chat to them and, you know, they tell you about their day. Just that whole atmosphere in those cafes or those places like yoga studios and stuff. Um, Yeah, you feel part of a community then, don't you? When you're like, it's not just this big chain. We're, we're all told about this like hyper individualism. That's what people call it, right? Where we feel so alone. When I when I left school, when I was 18 and I, I did the, the extra two years after 16 and I felt incredibly alone in knowing what to do and mm -hmm. I didn't feel like there was much of community. You know, I didn't really get much advice yeah. Yeah. from my, you know, my mum was really, in, in, you know, supportive of like being like, do be a journalist, do that thing. But other than that, like, I didn't yeah, fucking yeah. know, you know, and I, and I, I, I there's lo I, there's plenty of people that I know I'm, I'm close with that have a similar experience. What was your experience? I mean, did you grow up in Belfast and what kind of options did you look at when you were getting to that leaving school age? Yeah, no, I, when I was 18, I'm from uh, Enniskillen in County Fermanagh, so a pretty rural community. Um, so my main aim was to get out of there. I think that happens for a lot of like people that live in small towns. They're like, I want to go to the big city, which for me was Belfast. Um, I thought about going to, I was going to art college and knew that. My parents were really supportive of that, but I didn't know which one. And I actually thought about going to Glasgow School of Art. 
But I decided not to because I ended up meeting a guy and I was like, no, I'll stay in Belfast. Classic. It's grand, you know. Yeah, classic. But I, not a mistake because I absolutely, I mean, he lived in Belfast for over 10 years. I loved it. You know, brilliant just loved it and that yeah that's so. quite a lot of pressure on you as a lot of pressure on teenagers and a lot of people from Belfast go to Glasgow don't they there's a big connection there they do yeah it seems like I don't know why England no, nowhere and I never even looked at London or anything and it wasn't nobody was swearing me either way or that I don't know why Glasgow I had friends a couple of friends in Glasgow that I just met on a summer holiday so maybe that was the reason and I had visited Glasgow School of Art and had a tour around it and I was like it's a very romantic beautiful place and soaked in history I was I think I even applied I can't remember the details but somewhere along the line I decided that I was going to Belfast so um and you know that that's the way we that's the way as humans we operate you know you move move in with your partner you go with them you know maybe you you break up 10 years later that is that that's an amazing experience you know the the going to Belfast Mm -hmm. what did that open your eyes to what what did you discover and I I, you know I'm, I'm speaking musically and gigs and friends yeah, people you yeah. can play music with totally it was a completely different thing for me because I was brought up in um my parents are Christians my dad is a minister um and they're very devoted to their faith and I was brought up in that kind of atmosphere and that sheltered sort of um going to church a couple of times a week twice on a Sunday you know it was wow. quite intense and I didn't realize that that was strange until I got to university and as I said, my parents completely encouraged me to go to art college, which on reflection, they obviously didn't understand what art college was. Loads because, of smoking, <laughs> loads of drinking. You know, I mean, I was very tame at the start, um, but I was mesmerized by all these different, but mostly about how people thought and communicated and the things that we debated. And my my perception of the world changed very radically and very quickly. And I tried to go to church and fit into that com- Christian community and I just couldn't do it. I And, I, and that's a very bizarre thing because I had been very devoted to my parents, the faith and everything up until that point. But as soon as I got to Belfast, I was 18, couldn't fit into those communities, didn't find them in any way appealing to me. So I found my own, like just, I suppose, a, a set of artists and musicians that I are just, are still my friends this day. So, you know. A lot of them are anyway, you know, so it's it was a brilliant thing for me to do to get to Belfast to go to art college, live and live with other people, see how other people think and 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 it was yeah, I'm really thankful for that time, actually those three years doing the degree. I wonder having that routine and that structure of your faith, when did anything mm. take you know, did anything like sort of fill that void of where you would have done that, you know, when you moved to Belfast? Did did something else take over that? You know, where whereas you might have gone to church twice a week at home, you know, were, were you using the Sundays in Belfast to to read? Were you discovering new music? Do you, do you think anything replaced it? No, not in not instantly. I think I actually. I think a lot of people that um, come out of like a faith or or a cult, <laughs> um, depending on what way you look at it, you they, some people go into like being devout or obsessive about something else. For me, no. Um, if anything, I would have been obsessed with the new relationships that I was making. So even like 
in a romantic way but also in you know just new friendships and stuff like that but nothing no I went the opposite way of where I didn't want any responsive like it felt like I didn't want any responsibility I didn't want to think about that I didn't want I hated debates about religion and stuff like that I just avoided them I was like no no I'm not dealing with this for a very very long time I couldn't articulate it and I think that's probably to do with guilt and all of that stuff that you have to deal with when you've been indoctrinated into something that's really strong and like since you were like a little baby so um so no I kind of went the opposite but eventually I became obsessed with art and making art and that obviously turned into listening to the velvet underground and learning to roll spliffs yeah yeah well no I never roll spliffs and I hate smoking it's really something that I've carried with me my whole life no smoking good way to be (laughs) you know reflecting on your time studying and you know were you big into music at the time you know I mean like that that was a big priority for you how much could you identify as someone who wanted to, to make art and you know art is something that it's not serious in the way school is but it's serious in another way in the way that you prioritize it and you make room for it even at the hardest times well music was important and it had always been to me but as soon as I got as I say because of my background I wasn't really aware of much secular music so I had just been given music that was Christian and most of it was like American Christian like Amy Grant and stuff like that so my perception of what good music was was completely different and obviously as soon as I got to uni and I started hearing like um, Fleetwood Mac and Radiohead and Nirvana like I was hearing it all after the fact but I was like what's this and every week I would find something new um, and whatever I remember there was a guy in art college um, who loved Tool and Perfect Circle and I remember like getting all those albums off him and listening to it I was like this is amazing <laughs> you know every week I was discovering a different thing so it was a really exciting time for me very I didn't really need any um, anything else to heighten that experience because for me it was new I had written songs yeah but they were uh, worship songs essentially I'd done a GCSE in music um but I had no music theory I'd just been able to play and write and that's how I actually got past a composition just from the guitar and also I had done singing lessons and I had sung in church and at school and all of that stuff so that was my background in music and I thought I think when I got to art college I would be like in a band you know I had that in my head um but it just didn't happen and the people that I was around, mostly male musicians in Belfast at the time, there just wasn't that many girls, weirdly, in bands. Um, so that would have been like 2004 yeah. or something like that. Um, there just weren't that many females in bands. So it wasn't like I couldn't see a way in, I suppose, at that point. But I, I loved local music. I loved local bands. I was dating a local musician and he had a band and I was very involved and like watched him, you know, I went to all their gigs, got to meet lots of musicians. And it was really, I love that as well. I love that aspect of it. Being part of the communities, massive. Yeah. yeah. You know, when yeah. you're putting on a gig and you have the perception or you're playing in the band, you know, the people who are paying into that gig, they're as much of an experience as the people putting it on yeah. or promoting it or people playing in it there totally. is there is a massive 
community. They are. If they are the community, really, aren't they? They're the most important, in my opinion, people that come to see your band. There's no point, no matter what, what musicians say, there's absolutely no point standing up in a room with nobody in it. You might as well be in your practice space. <laughs> 101 part-time jobs. 101 There, there's so much organization there it's there, there's so much kind of thought there and work to do with each other when was the first what was your first job that you had during the band that you had to really kind of <laughs> give them the runaround so you could prioritize music well luckily whenever we started the band i started a phd at the same time so um so actually it worked out really well because I, essentially I could be self it's self-employed in a way you're you could keep your own hours as long as you got your work done type thing so I never had that like where I had to go to you know my boss and ask them for time off right. really but I think when I became a mo- I became a mum like a year into the band I in fact all our first shows I was very heavily pregnant um that happened just at the same time, but it wasn't planned. It just happened. So I was doing all those gigs and I was feeling really ill and oh, it was awful because the nerves, I'd never been on stage in on with a band before. So I was doing everything for the first time. And then I was becoming a mother as well. I was like, this is like too much. Um, but it, looking back on it, I'm really proud of myself for that. And I've got two children now, and it's really the most difficult thing to juggle with being a band. But I do think, like last night, I heard the kids out in the hall as I was answering emails for press, and I was like, um, I heard the kids out in the hall, and they were debating who was going to be in New Pagans. You know, Lauren was like, "I'm going to be the drummer in New Pagans." You know, <laughs> Maisie wanted to be right. the singer, and I was listening to their wee chatting about it and it was so lovely I was like you know it's hopefully it's something Cahar in the band is is their daddy they could they look back fondly on and mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. although I think leaving them for like a couple of weeks to go like on the UK tour in in March is like you do dread it but it's also nice to take a break from your kids I mean I'll not I'll not lie about that other parents will understand this is a safe space this is an honest space it is nice and they really they really appreciate you when you come back and you really miss and appreciate them as well so you are in such a unique position you should really write a feature about that if you like writing that'd be a really interesting feature you know I think a lot of people would like to read that well you know I don't like writing actually and which leads me to you know the fact that I'm dyslexic and I'm doing a PhD and but I've got better at writing because I've had to because it's not a practice based PhD it's a it's a written PhD um but yeah that's the biggest challenge of my life and I I love words and I love language but I just writing is not my it does it's it's not an easy thing for me it doesn't come really naturally what kind of mechanisms can you use to kind of combat that for for writing yeah I I, I have I didn't discover it until I was doing my uh degree actually um so I had been or I had already developed a set of like coping mechanisms throughout my school life honestly I don't know because I don't know what I'm what way I'm meant to think or 
how I'm meant to think. But I remember in the exam, you know, not the exam, but the, the the test, the dyslexic test psychologist was just like, I shocked at how, so what they do is they give you words, you know, like that don't exist and you have to pronounce them phonetically. And I had no concept of it. I couldn't pronounce any of them. And he was like, this is like unbelievable. You, everything you read is from memory. It's not from it's like it's a weird thing. So when you look at a word, you know sort of roughly how the different sections of a word are pronounced and you kind of put them together. I I, I think that's the way that I might yeah. do that. So I'm all I'm doing it apparently from memory. I can't I can't see a word that I haven't seen before and pronounce it. I have to hear it first and then I put that Yeah, it's really weird. So there's lots of stuff like that. I was like, Oh right, that's why I'm really slow at reading. It's something that I've come to terms with. It's, it is honestly quite mild. So I can't, I'm not going to say that it's been a disability because I don't feel like it has, but I do know that I'm slower or, you know, my grammar won't maybe is sometimes like I'll put a post up on Instagram and our drummer is amazing at language and, you know, grammar. He'll be like, Lindsay, this needs change. And I'll be like, all oh, right, do it quickly. You know, so I'm really aware of that. But but I think you just have to go with it and not worry about it too much. You know You know what I think about typos and grammatical things on on social posts or whatever, really, is that, you know what, if, if the person reading it fucking gets the gist of it, what's the problem? Yeah, I know. There's the grammar police, though. <laughs> and I think as a dyslexic, because you know that you're something that you're not good at, it's really upsetting when you're like, oh, I've done that again, you know. <laughs> That's not your fault. Like that's that's not your burden. That's not your cross to bear. No, I've got. I'm I'm over it now. But I rem- I remember we made a mistake actually in the first LP EP that we put out. Um, and Cahar is dyslexic too. God love our children. Like, um, uh, he he instead of writing Lily Yates, he wrote Lily with two L's instead of one L, and it and went it went out everywhere, and he he was so upset about it, and I was like. It was probably me that gave that to you, that information to you. So don't, don't worry. On the first, one of the first records I put out, there's there's a Jets to Brazil yeah. song called Sea Anemone. But I thought it was pronounced Sea right. Anemone. And then I realized that before we went to print the, like the, we went to, you know, print out the A4 sleeves for the CD. I put Sea Animals. Just trying to, trying to yeah, cover up, trying it. to cover my tracks. Oh, that's so good. That's so funny. <laughs> The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com What have you to 
part-time jobs 100 won part-time jobs 100 won part-time jobs 100 won part-time jobs things have kind of changed in the last generations or even since our parents generation in the sense that i think a lot of mothers would be expected and would expect of themselves hey that's it's a complicated thing isn't it to to become full-time mothers straight away and i feel like lots of new mothers are saying okay no i'm i'm not going to be a full-time mother i'm going to keep my job keep my work keep my hobbies and share it with my partner or or whoever else is there did you make any of those decisions did you did you kind of have any strong thoughts on that when, when when you became a mother to both your children yeah I mean I Cara and I talked about it and he's really I've watched him throughout his career he's been in lots of bands you know Jeplin Landon Fight With Wire whatever I've watched him and I've watched him bring in women to manage things to you know do x y and z and I've seen how he's developed that and, and he really is somebody that uh, feels that it's important that women are you know crew members they're involved in the music industry at all levels because I think that balance of the genders is really really important and he, he definitely I watched him do that so I knew it wouldn't be an issue when we had kids but I do think like I think it was Kim Gordon I was reading her biography uh, autobiography I was and she was saying you know no matter what the physicality of being a mother you are carrying the baby and um at the end of the day, when that baby's born and you decide to breastfeed or whatever, then you have to be there with the baby. So there's a certain amount of the fact that the man can't do some of the things that your body can do. But once you get past that stage, at the stage that we're at now, we've got a four-year-old and a five-year-old, it becomes easier to share it out. And actually, I would say to Kaher, I'm going away for four days writing on my thesis. And he'll say, no problem. And he'll be with the kids for four days. And you know, vice versa. So we've got a good balance, but I do think you need to be careful who you partner up with just <laughs> as a woman, you know, have a, have, have a look at their life pattern and, you know, are they, are they inclusive? Do they, do they feel that women are valuable? Do they see motherhood as valuable? Do they see caring as valuable? Think, think about all that stuff before you commit to somebody, I would say. I mean, so, so doing, doing the PhD is, is quite an, uh, like a good time to be in a band and have kids it is and it isn't it is for the fact that you are essentially your own boss but it isn't in the sense that PhDs require so much of you like and so much of your time especially when you're interested in the subject um so it is has been difficult to get it finished and across the line but I'm nearly there and what's it on it's on Irish embroidery so I'm I'm looking at church Ecclesiastic and Masonic embroidery. Embroidery? Yeah, embroidery in the role of women in those organisations. You've got lots of leather um, jackets with some good patches on them. <laughs> no, the church, no. So there's a huge history in that. There's there's lots going on there. Yeah, I'm focused on the island of Ireland, so stuff made here. So um, yeah, it's really interesting, really good. Amazing. Do you remember what fed that idea onto you? Yeah, I, well, I'm an embroiderer practicing and I love that's my main technique that I use for visual art so I I then uh, the bass player in the band was in an exhibition in a tattoo parlor in Belfast um, and it was 
they had gone to the local Masonic Museum and responded and like displayed their work in this tattoo shop. And then I went to see that and I was like, I want to see this museum. You know, I want to see the textiles and embroidery that they have there. So um, I got a tour and I was like, right, this place is amazing. But I knew that it was moving and it was being packed down and they didn't know where it was going. And, and it actually doesn't exist anymore. But before that happened, I went in and took lots of photographs. And that's that was the beginning of the, the PhD. I, I took it to the university, took the idea to the university and they were like, yeah, this is great. That's quality. Yeah, it was really. It was, see, when you're passionate about something, doors open up because you are interested. You know, you're focused and passionate. And I suppose that's embroidery has been my obsession if if you were talking earlier about like what replaced religion probably embroidery probably eventually embroidery did <laughs> have you found that the more you dig at it the more there is to find yeah i think embroidery and textiles in general has such an important role in our lives as as humans you know um maybe not so much embroidery because it was more of a luxury thing which is it has its own stuff going on there and then it's obviously it's since the Victorian period it's been seen as a very feminine art form whereas before that um in the medieval period it would have been men that embroidered so it's it it has taken this like interesting change and even now men see a lot of people see embroidery as something that women do but there's a lot of men that embroider as well um so it's like, it's a very strange technique. I mean, why is a technique seen as a gender or, or for a specific gender? That's, Bizarre. Ridiculous. Bizarre. Yeah. So it has all of that stuff, but even textiles in general, like you wear it every day. It's around you. We, you know, we shelter ourselves with textiles. It's like, it's really a very interesting material and it is so prominent and important. And we, we, because we see it every day, we really don't think about it we don't think about how it was woven or knitted or you know designed the patterns all of that stuff they got to speak to some of the crusty punks yeah. and their whole outfits are made out of very interesting i'm sure there's a phd on that somewhere what was the <laughs> hypothesis or, or what was the kind of conclusion that you came to yeah i mean the conclusion i haven't written the conclusion yet but what i'm trying to show is that women played roles irish women played roles in the Masonic order in the churches when they had very limited roles, like they weren't allowed to be seen as leaders. And and obviously in the Masonic, they weren't allowed to be involved at all, but actually through making these embroidering, these objects, they were part of those communities and they were vital parts of those communities. So it's sort of just bringing to light the role of women in those organizations through their embroidery. That's kind of the, the main, the principle of the whole thing. Do you think there's been any direct correlation to what you've been learning and the lyrics that you've been writing and specifically lyrics for making circles of our own? Do you think there are symbolism? Do you think there's imagery? Do you think there's storytelling that, that you can really kind of draw a direct line between that and, and embroidery and, and what you've been studying? Yes, there has been. And definitely in the first album and, and also on this on this second album as well yeah there there has been I think just sometimes I discover things that aren't going to be written into the thesis but I'm like that's really interesting and it takes me down like a rabbit hole and I'll be like right this is for new pagans and I'll maybe write a couple of notes on it or I'll I'll just remember when we're writing a song I'm like that was really interesting I'll 
I'll I'll chat about that. But the, say for instance, the latest single, John, and um, there we are, John. It's like it was more me looking for inspiration for my garden, my garden that I hope to someday have. And I was looking for like because I love gardening, and I was like, I I need to find something a garden in coastal area that like what plants can I have and then I came across Derek Jarman's garden at uh, Dungeness and I was like this is amazing and became obsessed with that and then I was saying to Claire about it in the band and she was like you do know that he's like an artist he's a filmmaker I was like yeah I haven't haven't really investigated that yet she was like you need to look at his work and then I started Derek Jarman yeah I started looking I'd heard his name but I never like looked into his work life work and then I was like but through his garden it all opened up to me I was like this is amazing you know what an interesting person so the whole song is about him but it's really about me wanting the garden and probably more about the fact that as a creative it's really hard to have everything it's hard to have stability you know financial stability which then eventually leads you to having a home and a garden and all of that stuff so it kind of is about that really but it it's through the language using his garden as the kind of struggles <laughs> 101 part-time jobs yeah 101 part-time jobs but being hopeful that someday you might make some money <laughs> one I did work in a cafe and I remember everybody was like my parents were like oh my god why are you working in a cafe you're gonna drop something you know blah 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 um and I, I, I was literally just moved to Belfast so I worked in the cafe for like a couple of years and they never ever let me make coffee so I must have been really good at it <laughs> I would serve I would do everything else they would never let me make coffee I don't know why though so although it's not a mistake I obviously wasn't given off like they didn't even let me try um I remember being raging after two years of like leaving and being like I don't have any coffee skills <laughs> it's kind of the one thing you'd hope to learn yeah, from there, wouldn't nothing you? nothing no Lindsay thank you so much oh, thank great. you Giles yes thank you for all the questions it was really interesting <laughs> great cheers then. okay bye all right so that was Lindsay from new pagans and 101 part-time jobs new pagans new album making circles of our own is out this friday on big scary monsters go and search for it and see you later this week with an episode with name a bock here's cox barra i've been working all day for me mate on the side running around like a blue ass fly i've been working yeah i've been working all day for me This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast.